Brad Restituto. Steps up to the pocket. Fires the right side. Caught by Diggs. Stay up. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Welcome to the rest up. It's June 29th, 2021. I'm Brad Restituto, Spencer Ostrowski with me as always. Thank you guys for joining us. We're here Tuesday and Thursdays, 9 to 10 o'clock Pacific time. Of course, NBA action tonight in full effect. Uh, we'll also get into some NFL a little later in the show. We'll go over, we'll hit back the AFC West and talk about the Denver Broncos schedule tonight. Uh, also some action and some news in Major League Baseball. The NHL Stanley Cup Finals are underway. Game one was completed last night. We'll briefly talk about that. But of course, we've got to start off tonight with NBA action and surprising fashion as the Atlanta Hawks, without their superstar Trey Young, they get contributions from Cam Reddish, who hasn't played since his second game since February. Um, Okongu plays 15 minutes for Atlanta. They, of course, get contributions off the bench from Gallinari. Lou Williams steps into the starting lineup, and how quickly do we forget about Lou Williams, a guy who everywhere he's went has lit up the scoreboard, was able to do it tonight in impressive fashion. And the bigger story isn't the fact that the Atlanta Hawks evened up the series of two, but the Milwaukee Bucks uh, experienced a, a very scary injury for their MVP superstar player Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, looked, it is reported as a hyperextended knee. It looked a lot worse on Twitter, on social media. A lot of people uh, questioning whether Giannis will be back. And, and look what happened to the Clippers in the Western Conference. Uh, they've been without Kawhi Leonard uh, for multiple games now and what was reported as a knee sprain. So this at least seems on par to what the Clippers have experienced with Kawhi Leonard. The only difference is the Milwaukee Bucks rely almost solely on Giannis uh, to propel them. And I talked with Spence before we went live today, and he thinks that Milwaukee's done, completely done in this series without Giannis. And I tend to agree with him. It's It's been – they and Spence, jump, go ahead and jump on here. You, you were right when you said that the Milwaukee Bucks have a hard enough time winning with Giannis, much less without him. Uh, I thought this series could go long, whether Giannis was in the lineup or not. Of course, everything changes when uh, injuries like has happened to Trey Young and, and Giannis happened. But people sometimes sleep on the depth of the Hawks. We've talked about it for a long time. Certainly after game two, the Hawks, uh, it looked like it was going to be complete control by Milwaukee in the series. But how many times, Spencer the Wiz, has the media and as people on the street and basketball fans counted out the Atlanta Hawks in these playoffs and they continue to find a way, whatever way, uh, to keep fighting and keep playing another day. And the Atlanta Hawks, with – facing Milwaukee without Giannis could be in prime position uh, to take command of this series. And we did forget. I know we didn't forget, but we tend to forget when he's not in the lineup as much, how dangerous Lou Williams can be as a scorer and what an acquisition mid season, getting this guy uh, in a trade for Rajon Rondo, two completely different players. This is exactly what the Hawks needed in place of Trey Young tonight, and he delivered in an impressive fashion, holding home court tonight for the Atlanta Hawks. 
And the Atlanta Hawks don't just win. They win 110-88 in very impressive fashion. Like I said, getting multiple contributions for various guys, not only on the starting lineup but off the bench. A great spark to have Cam Reddish, the Duke product, back out off of injury. His second game uh, since February, playing 23 strong minutes tonight. Spence, if this guy can continue to improve and look healthy, he's the freshest guy in the series. He's only played a couple games in over six months. So this is going to be really interesting to watch down the stretch because we don't know what's going to happen in any game, and anything can change on a dime. I, I don't attribute these injuries like LeBron and some other people have said to the shortened season and pandemic, these are just, you know, unfortunate freak plays that we saw with Trey Young, what we saw with Giannis. Those are basketball plays that could happen to anybody. It's just unfortunate the timing, the list of guys, superstar players that have missed time during these 2021 playoffs, but that's the nature of professional sports, Spence. You have to have that next man up mentality. You've got to have the right pieces in place to fill in when your guys go down. And that's exactly what Lou Williams did tonight for the Hawks. And now we have a three-game series, a best-of-three home court advantage to, to the Bucks, but everything will change without Giannis, Spence. Yeah, no doubt. And I will show the uh, replay for Giannis got hurt for, the, for those of you who had not seen it. Oh, I can see the hyperextension, mm. the up the left knee. Oh, oh man. Can't even look at it. No. I, I thought his knee blew out, man. The way his, his leg was like backwards. So I, I thought the worst. I thought he would definitely not be able to walk, but he was able to get himself off the court. Although that's a little misleading. So I think when Julian Edelman, if I'm not mistaken, tore his ACL, he also kind of walked off the field afterwards. It could be adrenaline. We'll have to wait and see what they say uh, tomorrow. But yeah, like you said, if he's out for this series, they're done because they just don't seem to understand the way that their basketball team works, where in the beginning of the game, they ran their offense through Giannis, which you could say is technically what you're supposed to do, but they certainly didn't give him the ball in advantageous places. He ended up, I think, shooting 7 for 10 in the game, so on the box score, it looked great. But if you watch the first quarter specifically, when they really started to go get down in the game early, uh, they, they would set screens. I remember one play in particular, Chris Middleton was on the left side wing, uh, three-point line, and then, then you know Giannis came from the other side off of a screen and took the ball down in the post where he's being you know guarded by Clint Capella. So when you have Clint Capella on Giannis, you want to put him on the perimeter, in which I thought they did wrongly in the last round where he shouldn't have been playing on the perimeter and he should have been playing in the post. So, like, kind of have all of their uh, ideas mixed up here. And I think Chris Middleton, he shot terribly today. And some of that is his fault, of course. I mean, it's a make or miss league. But why aren't they running the offense more specifically through him to get him those kinds of looks when they painstakingly try to give the ball to Giannis, where we know he isn't super great in the half court? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Um, but, you know, this anything can happen in the NBA, and it's all about opportunities. And when you look at this game, the opportunity was on the Bucks to win without Trey Young against a team that doesn't have any all-stars. Trey Young wasn't even an all-star technically, although of course he is. We all know that. Uh, and then now it's going to be the flip side. Can Atlanta take advantage of maybe Giannis missing a game, which I think they can. And this was a really disappointing game for the Bucks. Spence, the starting lineup tonight for the Bucks. P.J. Tucker had eight points on three of seven from the field, two of five from three. Giannis in 24 minutes 
was 7 of 10 from the field. He had 14 points, 8 rebounds, but he's 0 of 3 from the charity stripe and 0 of 1 from downtown. And Chris Middleton, we talked about him, Spence. This guy seems to be the straw that stirs the drink as far as the success of the Milwaukee Bucks in the playoffs. We saw it do it, saw him do it in round one against Miami. He struggled along with the entire team against Brooklyn, but because of injuries, they were able to overcome a 2-0 deficit in that series and ended up winning in seven. Middleton was was the catalyst in the win in game three in Atlanta as he scored 24th quarter points and, and just caught fire. And tonight's game, Spence, is complete opposite of what we saw in the fourth quarter in game three. Oh, seven from the field, six of 17 from the field with 16 points and a plus minus of minus 25. And of course, Drew Holiday contributed 19 points. He was six of 17 from the field, two of seven from three, and not a lot of bench production tonight for Milwaukee. Uh, leading the bench tonight, Bobby Portis, seven points in 21 minutes, three of nine from the field, one of five from three, and seven rebounds. But Kat and Pat Connaughton, only three points. He had a minus 21 plus minus tonight. And it was the Hawks' night, Spence. And um, th- this is really unfortunate because you would like for the Bucks to find a way to win this game when they had Atlanta's back against the wall. A lot of the narrative I've heard, Spence, on NBA radio and a lot of the media pundits is in order for Atlanta to win, they need Trey Young to be great. And Milwaukee doesn't need Giannis to be great to win. Well, it certainly didn't seem that way tonight as Atlanta not only didn't have Trey, didn't need Trey Young to be great, they didn't need Trey Young at all to win this evening. And I think, and, I, and I've said it again, I've said it multiple times, I think so many people sleep on this roster of the Atlanta Hawks. They've got guys that can shoot and score the basketball. Like I said, Lou Williams tonight, 21 points. Bogdanovich finally caught his stride. He had 20. Kevin Herter, only one of seven from three, but contributed 15 points, seven assists, and six rebounds. Nice stats for him. Capella had 15 points. John Collins, who if is if not the second most important guy to Trey Young, only had four points, but they that's that's how deep this team can be. Cam Reddish. Had 12 big points. Spence, you talked about his defensive effort was fantastic. They've inserted Okongwu into the lineup. He's a long, athletic guy who played 15 minutes tonight, scored seven points. He was big in game three when Atlanta had the lead and made a run there in the second half guarding Giannis. Uh, So this Atlanta team is deep, and it's deeper than a lot of people give them credit for. And the depth can and looks to be outperforming Milwaukee. And – Please don't continue to sleep on this roster and think that Trey Young is the only reason that this team is where they're at. Trey Young actually sometimes hinders momentum with his shot selection. If Trey Young can can kind of reel it in as far as some of his shot selection, at sometimes I think Atlanta could be even more effective than they are. Not taking away from his ability, but I think the same way that Giannis tends to get excited with the three point shot, it can really mess up momentum and be inopportune and I think Trey Young's shot selection at times is just not right I know he's capable of hitting those shots um, but I I just think he could be more effective doing other things it's just it's it's tough I mean there's about two guys on the planet uh, that every time the ball leaves their hands you may think it's going in that may be Steph Curry and Dame Lillard when you're talking about shooting from 35 plus feet not that Trey Young isn't phenomenal but Spence I mean we're talking about one two possessions a game that that can really determine the outcome 
And, and with the Atlanta Hawks trying to fight for a spot in the NBA Finals, I just think being a, a little bit more selective in, in your 35 feet plus three-point shots is really crucial at this time, especially when you can force Milwaukee into making bad decisions with Giannis shooting threes or something uh, of that sort where you can get extra possessions because of bad basketball IQ or bad decision-making. So Atlanta took care of business tonight, evening the series at two. It certainly is going to be very questionable and up in the air how the rest of the series goes based on Giannis's health. Spence, after seeing what happened, I don't think there's any way Giannis comes back in game five or game six healthy. I think for sure he's out of game five. Trey Young, who was reported as having an ankle bone bruise, had to miss this game. To think Giannis is going to come back on one night's rest, I don't think that's going to happen. I think there's a very, very high likelihood that Giannis misses the rest of the series, and the Milwaukee Bucks are going to have to band together and figure out a way uh, to win this series without him, and that's going to be very important and on the shoulders of Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton is going to have to shoot better than he shot if they want to give Milwaukee a chance to win this series without Giannis Spence. Yeah, and here's the thing about uh, the Bucks. In my opinion, is this is their this is the best chance they'll ever have. This might be the best chance that Giannis and certainly Chris Middleton will have to at least make the finals in their entire careers. When you look at the injury situations that that has gone on with LeBron James with Kevin Durant, I mean these guys are going to find their ways back to the finals before their career is over. And I, from what I've seen from the Bucks, I don't know if they're ever going to be ready to face a full-powered Brooklyn Nets team who, you know, has their problems and certainly may not last forever. But, I mean, they would crush this team. They barely beat them with Kevin Durant and a hobbled James Harden at that point. And now you're struggling against a young Atlanta team, which, you know, full credit to them. I'm not trying to discount them in any way, but certainly nobody thought that they'd be vying for a finals appearance here, at least in the 2021 playoffs. And for many years to come, it's just not expected of them. So all times greats don't lose series like this. And I'm not sure if Giannis will play in game five or game six. I mean, it's just speculation at this point. But they're going to have to figure something out very quickly because their window is about to be super shut when Atlanta's is really just opening. They have nothing to lose and the Bucks have absolutely everything. Considering the trade that they made for Drew Holiday earlier this season where they gave up too much for him which is fine, right? If you win at least one championship and you've given up too much to build that team, what does it matter at that point? Because so many teams have either A, not made the finals, or B, maybe not even won one, and they haven't won one since the 70s. So if it were to, the case where they figure a way to make the finals and win this year, and they are horrible, they don't even, like, let's say, never make it past the second round afterwards, I would say it's all worth it. But again, the NBA... And especially a lot of guys' careers are based on opportunities, and this is a huge one. We'll see if they can figure it out in game six. And if Giannis doesn't play, they're going to have to find a way to reconstruct their offense because it feels like they don't have a game plan for Chris Middleton to be their star player when that desperately needs to be the case for them. And how did the Atlanta Hawks manage this Trey Young injury situation? I mean, he was not able to go tonight. He's going to have one extra day off. That's not a lot of time. I mean, you're asking a guy to heal – awfully quickly to get back into the lineup on the road. You're guaranteed a game six at home. Do you sit him out and hope he's healthier game six? I don't know how to manage this. I don't know how serious the injury is. I'm not in his locker room, not in his head, of course, not knowing, but 
in order for him to miss a very huge playoff game, the injury seems a little bit more serious than just a bone bruise. Um, you know, missing a game four, a pivotal game four in the playoffs. Luckily, his team was able to carry the load without him in the lineup, but a really important game. So I can't think that Trey Young is all of a sudden going to be uh, the Trey Young he wants to be to be effective in game six. So what does that mean for the Atlanta Hawks? Do you sit him one more game and try to steal one without Giannis, given that Giannis doesn't play in game five? And Spence, I know we're just speculating here, but I can't see any way where Giannis is playing in game five. And if he does, for him to be effective as he needs to be. We saw James Harden miss some time with a hamstring pull. And when he when he tried to get back out there, um, you know, it, the first time it it was tough. And we're talking about on one game, one game rest. I don't think Giannis will be in the lineup. So does Atlanta take that in consideration when they're monitoring the Trey Young injury? It's a big deal. We're talking about two teams, one that's never been to the NBA finals, another one that's got one championship in the entire franchise history. They haven't been to the finals in probably three plus decades in the Milwaukee Bucks. We're talking about a three game series. Every possession, every game is crucial at this point. And when you talk about the opportunity to win an NBA Finals, you've got a Phoenix team who had an opportunity last night to punch their ticket, and they failed, and a Clippers team who's trying to win three in a row, and they're without their best player. So if the door has ever been as wide open for an NBA franchise to take an NBA title and hoist that Larry O'Brien trophy, this is the year. And I think it's open for any of these teams, especially the way the dominoes keep falling, Spence. We don't know what's going to happen next. So let's get into last night's game. The Clippers, they hold off elimination. They force a game a game six. I'm sorry, they force a game uh, a game six. Yeah, I'm six. correct there. Correct. They force yep. a game six, down three to one in the series. They go on the road to Phoenix. They get the 116-102 victory. Marcus Morris Sr. was fantastic in the first half. He started off the game six for six from the field. He finished with 22 points. Uh, Paul George continues to impress a phenomenal shooting last night, 15 of 20 from the field, eight of eight from the line. This guy's bounced back and he deserves all kinds of credit. Whether they win or lose this series, Paul George uh, certainly deserves uh, all the credit in the world for the way he's performed. I know there's been some moments where he wish he could have back, but he certainly battled back. He's rebounded the hell out of the basketball the last few games, 15 rebounds in game four, 13 in game five to go along with 41 points. And he led the way for the Clippers, and they get the win on the road, and they pretty much uh, led wire to wire for the most part in this game, and they win 116-102. And the critiques are going to start coming out for Chris Paul and, and this Phoenix team if they can't close the door here in game six. They're going to have to do it on the road in Staples Center. If not, they've got to go back home for a game seven. Devin Booker put the mask back on in this game. He was 9 of 22 from the field. Chris Paul was uh, 8 of 19, 0 of 6 from three. 22 points for Paul, 31 for Booker last night. Uh, the starting lineup didn't give them much other contribution, only four points from Jay Crowder, only five from Bridges, and 10 from Aiton. So they're going to need these guys to step up in a big way. We know they can win on the road. They've done it before. They swept Denver. They won at Staples Center in this series with the Clippers. They're not done yet. And the Phoenix Suns, they have to punch their ticket. They're going to have to get another win. Uh, so, Spence, were you did, you did you think Phoenix could close the door last night? And how impressed are you with Ty Lue and, and the Clippers and, and Paul George? They continue to fight, and when you when you think they're down and out, they find a way to get it done, and they did it again last night. 
Yeah, let's take a look at some of those Paul George highlights, the best uh, playoff game of his career, no doubt. And those were cash in the first four games. George on the pop, nails a three. Paul George answers, and it's back up to nine. This move by Paul George tells Chris Paul, mind your business, get out my way. Upper body strength eliminates him, elevates, knocks down and long. There's one highlight. I actually have a few more, so we'll take a look uh, again about his uh, special. Real, real quick, not only did they do this last night without Kawhi Leonard, there was no Zubats either. Zubats out of the lineup makes it even that much more impressive. Hopefully they'll have Zubats, Zubats back for game six at Staples Center tomorrow night. But, man, super impressive road win last night by the Clippers. Staying alive gives them a lot of confidence, and now uh, the pressure has mounted over to the Phoenix side, feeling a bit of desperation to get this series closed out. Yeah, so ton of credit to Ty Lue, no doubt. I mean, this is a guy who I've criticized quite a bit, and uh, he always seems to find himself down in these big series deficits, but is able to rally the troops. We know he's uh, that's his specialty, and clearly it has come in handy here. There's a lot of, you know, the first thought is, you know, playoff P, it's all on him. And after the game even mentioned, oh, I'm more criticized than most other stars, which is honestly not a good sign in my opinion that he cares so much about what other people say about him. I mean, when you're a superstar, you shouldn't be uh, perusing Twitter and seeing what the general thoughts on you are. I know it's kind of hard to avoid that, and it's easier said than done, but I don't know. I feel like he's so like in his head all the time. We'll have to see. I mean, this series is a, a convergence of two guys in their history of their careers who have not gotten it done in the playoffs, and Chris Paul and Paul George. So one of them is going to have to get it done. And if Chris Paul doesn't like win this series without Kawhi Leonard, I don't know. I mean, he's been praised so much throughout the playoffs this year and just how amazing he is and how underrated he is. But this is his series to lose, no doubt. I mean, they have all the advantage in the world, in my opinion. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, the Clippers, I think it's, uh, yeah, I think they go back home to maybe force a game seven. But Phoenix should not mess around. I bet I'd put a straight up. I put a straight up bet on Phoenix uh, in the middle of that game to win it. And they got really close. And Paul George actually almost ruined the game for them in the fourth quarter with two back-to-back fouls to put himself at five fouls at that point in the game. And it was a close. I don't remember what the point margin was, but it was up in the air. Uh, But, you know, he uh, played smart the rest of the game and they eventually just took over. And then Reggie Jackson, too, has had a, you know, a nice string of games. One of them, he was really, really bad. I think he shot uh, like Seven for 24, he took more shots than Paul George. That has obviously been corrected. But, uh, you know, uh, the other part of it with Chris Paul's game, to go back to him for a quick second, is, you know, he did just have COVID, and I feel like that's kind of been swept under the rug a little bit. He's been much better in the first half, but as the game goes on, uh, clearly he's a little uh, troubled, or you would hope it's not nerves, like so, like this badly, because that's just would be a really bad stain on him. But COVID is a very serious, uh, you know, uh, virus. And he said it was asymptomatic, but I don't know if I believe that at this point. Uh, But we'll see uh, going into game six if Paul George can continue to to do what he did, especially like this when he normally hasn't. The game before, he was 5 of 20 shooting. And we'll see if Chris Paul can end his little strange streak that he has of shooting well under 50%. Spence, did you have some more highlights from last night's action, Clippers Suns? Yeah, so again, a little appreciation for Paul George. Man to George. George to finish. Shots good and one. George off the dribble. Drives, gets inside. Nice left handed. 
Paul George at Bridges. Knocks it down. I think right now the answer is no. George squeaks. Paul George makes his move behind the back. Pulls up jumper. It's good. In the first four games. George on the pull up. Nails a three. In the game, 93% in the series. George connects again. On the floor. Torrey Craig, who didn't play last game, playing. Clippers up by eight, final minute, third quarter. George, three-pointer, puts it in. George drives past Craig, goes inside, lays it up. George drives, stops, leans in, back shot is good. Is it back out? George over Bridges, another Paul George. I, I wanted to say, too, about Paul George. I forgot I, I, forgot I wanted to say this, in that... I'm actually rooting for the guy. I have no like affiliation uh, or care for the Clippers. Like personally, I'm a Memphis Grizzlies fan, but the guy clearly wants to be successful. So it's unfortunate to see like all the missed free throws that he's had when you know in his heart that he's all the way in there. So it was cool to see him finally kind of erupt, have a real superstar type of game. And if he plays like that and they still have Kawhi Leonard, I mean, clearly they should be final favorites at some point in their lineage. And, Maybe in the future, a fully healthy Clippers team versus a fully healthy Nets team would be one of the best finals, I think, maybe in NBA history. Maybe, probably in my lifetime, I'll say. That just sounds like stars all over the place and a lot of storylines about guys who couldn't get it done. I don't know if the Clippers will be able to do it this year. If they can, that would be truly one of the greatest playoff runs in sports history. Uh, But, you know, looking forward next year, even then, uh, that would be some really entertaining stuff. Let's give Ty Lue credit. You know, I mean, this is a Clippers team who bowed out early in the playoffs last year. The season looked at as, as a grave disappointment in the Orlando bubble. Ty Lu and the Clippers have faced adversity in these playoffs, going down 2 nothing in every at every point in the series, in their playoff series, and still finding a way to fight back. If they were able to reach just reach the finals this year without Kawhi Leonard, man, that'd be really impressive. And to see this team continue to galvanize and improve under Ty Lue, you would definitely think they have an opportunity to compete in the West for a few more years under this window, given uh, the idea that, that Kawhi Leonard and Paul George stick around here in LA. There's of course have been rumors that Kawhi is not happy with the medical staff in LA. So we'll have to see how that uh, continues to play out and we'll have to see what happens with the Clippers, the rest of this series. I mean, they've done it in one game. Can they, uh, stave off elimination two more times. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, but this is the rest stop every Tuesday and Thursday, 9 and 10 o'clock. Spencer the Wiz, Brad the Believer. If you miss any part of the show live, make sure you check out the podcast version at Landry Football Conference Call on, on any of your podcasting platforms, Spotify, Google, Audio Boom, and like and subscribe to the YouTube channel, Brad the Believer. Spence, we're going to keep it in NBA basketball talk. Earlier this week, Scotty Pippen was on the Dan Patrick Show and had some controversial comments about former Hall of Fame head coach Phil Jackson against Michael Jordan, of course, who had his famous documentary during the COVID outbreak. Uh, I think it was a five-part series or ten-part series, something like that. Um, and, and Scotty was was looked at in a little bit of a negative light. If we have some of that video, let's check out some of the uh, conversation between Dan Patrick and Scotty Pippen. Yeah, before we do, I actually I pulled the play that he's talking about. So just so you have reference, this is the play that Scotty Pippen has uh, so much well, issue with. Spence, before play 
paint that picture, right? So there uh, about what that's in reference to. Yeah, so this was a 1994 playoff game against the Knicks. Michael Jordan obviously had retired and gone to baseball for a couple of years. And Scottie Pippen, I believe, felt like it was his time after Michael Jordan to kind of take over this Bulls team, considering like his superstar status. Uh, so the context of the play is that Scottie Pippen was not in. There was one second left, and he was inbounding the ball uh, to somebody. I, I forget his name now. Uh, Kuziak, something like that. Tony uh, Kukoc? Uh, uh, I don't know if it was. We'll see. I'll, All I'll right, play we'll the see end here. Of, we'll see here at the end of the game. Who goes for the win? So that that was the big play that Scottie Pippen had issue with when you really think you wouldn't because uh, they made the shot. But we'll see. We'll go to Dan. We'll play that one more time, up. Spence. Yeah. Who goes for the win? Looked like Scotty was the inbounder on that play. Yeah, he was, which was what he took issue with. And he thought that the play should have been drawn up for him instead of him inbounding the ball. That was kind of the whole crux of the issue, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, yeah, I, I'll play the the clip now, and you can see what Scotty's a pip, uh, Scotty Pippen's opinion on the matter. Help me understand the GQ article where you talked about the 1994 playoff game when – you refuse to go back in the game and Phil set up the play for Tony Kukoc. Well, I mean, it's not much to be said. If you go back and look at when Scottie Pippen entered the Bulls and when Tony Kukoc entered the Bulls and who deserved the last shot of the game. No, no, um, no. I understand that, Scotty. I'm just going by what you said. You said you need to read between the fine lines. And then you go on to say it was a racial move to give him, Tony Kukoc, a ride. Yeah. So, well, I mean, if you knew that Scottie Pippen had been with the Bulls from 87, battled through the Pistons and every other team that we had to get to those three championships, wouldn't you give Scottie Pippen one opportunity to get a last-second shot without Michael Jordan? Like, one year without Michael Jordan. Can I get one shot? Like, I'm doing all the dirty work. But all of that I understand from the basketball standpoint. But when so, you say a racial move... Well, why would why would Tony, who was a rookie, get the last second shot and you put me out of bounds? That's what I mean, racial. Like that was Scottie Pippen's team. But but Scottie Phil Pippen then, was but, but, on pace to be an MVP that year, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, why would you put him in a position not to be successful? Why wouldn't you put him in a position to succeed? Michael Jordan is not there. So who's next in line for you? But have you talked to Phil about this? Because by saying a racial move, then you're you're calling Phil a racist. I don't got a problem with that. Do you think Phil was or is? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, do you remember Phil Jackson left the Lakers, went, wrote a book on Kobe Bryant, and then came back and coached him? I mean, who would do that? You name someone in professional sports that would do that, you know? I well, think he tried to expose Kobe in a way that he shouldn't have. You're the head coach, and you're the guy that sits in the locker room and tells the players, this is a circle, and everything stays within the circle. Because 
Spence, uh, that's some pretty heavy stuff. That's the first time I've heard that audio. I know it's been in the discussion in the news cycle here over the last week. I'm pretty taken aback by this. I didn't know about the GQ article where Pippen had talked about this. I know he's promoting a book that should be coming out at some point this year, but he did he he did not hold back Spence, and he pretty much doubled down on the comments uh, that he feels like Phil Jackson is a racist and that decision was racially motivated. Uh, I think that's far fetched when you talk about a guy that coaches in a league that's over eighty percent. African-American as far as the players. He played in the NBA also for the Knicks. Uh, so it's really hard for me to wrap my mind around uh, any NBA coach being racist uh, towards somebody uh, that's not the same complexion that they are. It just doesn't seem fathomable to even go through the circle uh, of professional sports this day and age and that be true. Uh, what are your thoughts on on the conversation between Scottie Pippen and Dan Patrick? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, this is a guy who coached Michael Jordan and the team to three championships. I would imagine it would be impossible as a head coach to be racist and to coach a basketball team. Uh, I think there's a separation here between you disagreeing with his coaching decision and calling him racist, and that I think he's just mixing up the two of them, maybe just to garner more attention to himself. But certainly nobody else throughout the years has called Phil Jackson racist. And what benefit does he have as a coach to, I don't like, don't you think that if he thought the best shot for the team was to give Scottie Pippen that, that he made that call and clearly it was a correct one. So where does the racist part come in? Look, I understand that he's probably upset. And he he has a lot of grievances with the Bulls, a lot of uh, justified ones, and the whole contract dispute. I think this is really the product of him being bitter about what how the team treated his career, and you know, certainly I think he lost a lot of his money after his career. So maybe that bitterness just comes up and gets confused with racism. That's the only explanation I have here for the situation. Look, if you want to discuss maybe what's going on in Scottie Pippen's mind, he certainly had what a lot of people would say is a rough go of it in his personal life over the past decade. His ex-wife, Larissa, is kind of a prominent figure in reality television. We know that their divorce uh, hasn't been uh, amicable. Scottie, a couple months ago, came out. Uh, it, one of his sons passed away, 33 years old, his son, Antron Pippen, which who you can only speculate the devastation that uh, would be going on internally from losing a son. Uh, so on a personal level, I kind of want to give Scotty a pass for maybe saying, <sighs> Spence, I mean, he, he doubled down. I mean, he's had opportunities to, this is probably how he feels. He's got a lot of bitterness on thing, how things were ham- handled, a lot of frustration on how he was portrayed in the Michael Jordan documentary. Look, you can say what you will about Michael Jordan uh, as an all-time great. I am not a big fan of his, and I haven't been since his playing days. I, I, I've never interacted with him personally, but everything I've seen, heard, uh, I, I just don't care for the guy. And I don't know how I feel about Scottie Pippen. I'm kind of indifferent. We'll have to go uh, and continue to invest, investigate some of the people we do know here in, in Las Vegas, Spence, that have connections to some former Bulls players in that team to really 
uh, maybe get some in, inside information about this. It, it is unfortunate. Um, and, and what maybe what kind of teammate Pippen was consistently? Did he just have a couple moments that we know of um, that were kind of unflattering? Or where does the truth lie from his teammates' perspective as a whole? Is it more citing on the light that was painted by Michael Jordan, or is it more so on the opinion as a whole of, of what Scottie's Pippen's career was? Either way, this is certainly uh, a tough conversation because, like you said, it's not like it's been shared anywhere else that Phil Jackson is a racist, and it's really hard to wrap your mind around, like we said, a professional NBA coach uh, having those feelings and that mindset. From what I know of Phil Jackson, uh, he's you know a very philosophical individual. He's done a lot of self-help practices and, and a lot of digging from within to kind of motivate teams over the years. So I kind of look at Phil as more of a realist and someone that's going to be quite honest with you than somebody that has a, a hidden agenda. So it's got to be tough, especially Spence, when you have the most glorified athlete ever in Michael Jordan that you're playing second fiddle to your entire career and having to answer that question and be that guy's uh you know, riding that guy's coattail, so to speak, it's got to take a hit to your ego. I mean, Scottie Pippen wanted the recognition for saying, hey, if it weren't for me, Michael Jordan wouldn't be the Michael Jordan you're talking about, and he wouldn't be the champion and this high sought-out legend that you all speak of if it wasn't for me. And I feel like he doesn't feel like he gets enough credit, and he may be spot on with that, Spence. Uh, Michael Jordan does not get uh, multiple rings without Scottie Pippen. Um, this is a really tough conversation, tough position for Pippen to be in. How do you manage that mindset? Because in the reality, Pippen's a Hall of Famer. He's a champion. I don't think he has to sell himself short just because the way that the cards felt Michael Jordan is recognized as this great icon. Spence, I, I know many people will disagree, but I think a lot of the luster and lore of Michael Jordan isn't necessarily that he was by far, hands down, the greatest player ever to lace up shoes. He also had a marketing train with Nike and Air Jordan that made him a larger-than-life figure that may not match up with exactly how dominant he was as a player. I'm not trying to say he's not the greatest or not on that Mount Rushmore, but we certainly inflate that with the Gatorade commercials, with the Nike Air Jordans, the legacy of the shoes that continue to be bestsellers today, decades after he's retired, has made the Michael Jordan the figure larger than life. And I don't think that necessarily equates, and it certainly doesn't give the other teammates the due that they deserve. Yeah, and I, I think a big part of this is Scotty probably feels he hasn't been able to express himself like at all. Like his narrative hasn't been his own throughout his maybe his life or certainly the moment he stepped into the NBA where look, he was an all-star. He he was a very good player, but would he have been able to do it by himself? I'm not sure. Well, <laughs> technically the answer is no. We saw, you know, he wasn't able to do it during those two years that Jordan's gone. But look at any other star in history. Were they completely alone in their endeavors? Probably not. And when you're not able to express yourself, it culminates in a lot of different ways And that you want to, right? Like you want to find a way for people to hear your voice and your opinion. So when you have all these frustrations and they've been building, 
And maybe they've spilled over because of this documentary that recently came out about Michael Jordan, where he really isn't painted in the best light. I think to some level it does in saying that the Bulls treated him unfairly, but uh, clearly he didn't feel like they you know, gave his story out that the way that they should have. And when all of those frustrations accumulate and they've been stewing for many, many years and they've kind of come back up to light. Yeah. I think these are the kinds of things that can happen where you feel that your coach maybe had some racially motivated things. I mean, I think in your mind, you're just trying to uh, justify or maybe come up with some more outlandish reasoning for what's going on. And uh, yeah, that can mean that you say Phil Jackson is a racist or Maybe it's just for attention. Like, who knows? Although I'll also say this, my closing thought on the situation. If Scottie Pippen feels that Phil Jackson is a racist and he really believes that in his heart, he has every right to believe that. It, I mean, uh, who are we to say that he's completely wrong? He was around the guy every day. Uh, so you hope it's less of an attention thing uh, and more of maybe he's just trying to bring something to light. Maybe more stories will come out on behalf of this. Who knows? And or maybe he's just trying to sell his book. I'm not sure, and I'm not one to say what's true and what's not. That's Spencer Ostrowski. Follow him on Twitter, at SpencerTheWiz. Also, check out his YouTube channel, Blue Milk Boys Gaming. He's came out with a couple of videos here in the last week or so. Give him a like and subscribe, and check out what he's doing aside from all his ventures here in Las Vegas media. Check out the rest stop every Tuesday and Thursday, 9 to 10 o'clock Pacific time. Make sure you like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can follow us and like us and contribute on twitch.tv slash Football. We broadcast there live for the the podcast episodes as well as at Brad the Believer on Twitter and Brad Restituto on Facebook. Spence, I want to pick up where we left off a few weeks ago going over some NFL scheduling. We were on the AFC West side. We talked about the Raiders. We talked about the Chargers. I want to get into the Broncos tonight, but briefly before we do that, Spence, uh, Major League Baseball, I sent you a Twitter message earlier. Trevor Bauer, big time pitcher for the Dodgers, talked about in a sexual misconduct allegation. Uh, Jeff Passan of ESPN reported the California police are investigating Dodgers star Trevor Bauer for an assault on a woman, Bauer's attorney. John Federloff released a statement in which he denied the allegations, and ESPN has chosen not to name the woman, even though her attorney did. And it detailed in des- describing uh, incidences or correspondence between uh, this woman, unnamed in this article, and Trevor Bauer. Spence, we heard about it in. in and we haven't discussed this, but we, we may next show. We, we've heard about some allegations when discussing uh, the Chauncey Billups hire in Portland. He had issues in 1997, a situation that was settled out of court. We're in a culture in a day and age, Spence, where anything and everything is heightened to the max. Deshaun Watson, his football career, we don't know where that's going moving forward given the allegations of him and the masseuse in Houston or multiple masseuses. Uh, this is another situation of a high-profile celebrity athlete in the news for reasons that are unbecoming. What are your thoughts, Spence? Yeah, so this is a super muddied situation in that sexual assault generally isn't taken seriously enough, and in some cases it's taken too seriously. Uh, I, for one, take sexual assault more important, I would say, than most. Uh, it's 
it's a it's a massive issue and i think women are often swept under the the rug in terms of their feelings and what happened to them and generally just aren't believed uh you know that this is the case uh but there's also another side of this coin which is maybe not equally as important but certainly extremely extremely important in that women uh, or men it doesn't really matter with fake sexual assault allegations which really hurts the case for women and men who have been seriously sexually assaulted and is the reason a lot of people don't believe this situation from what i'm seeing here and again this just from what i'm seeing in the the lawyer's statement and that's their job uh, if this was the case and what you know the lawyer's saying is true and that this was a completely consensual situation then this woman should be uh, disregarded and you know somehow punished for lying about the situation <laughs> there's also another nuanced issue to this and that from the outset and certainly if this if these facts are true then he won't be charged criminally in a court but the other part of it is maybe she really did feel that it wasn't consensual even though on the outside it did and that she was just confused about the situation and a lot of the times for these sexual assault situations the victim doesn't really understand what had happened to them until well after so we'll have to see what happens in this case you know truthfully all the way through and maybe that'll come in the form of a court case or maybe it'll come in the, uh, you know, come out as a, like a payoff at the end of the day where they don't want to go, go to court. I'm not sure, but it's certainly disturbing. And hopefully if he did do something horrendous, uh, which she is alleging, that he faces true punishment and not the punishment that we've seen out of athletes where it's just something that the average person would certainly never get where we've seen drunk driving, where literally nothing has happened. Uh, and we've seen worst case of domestic abuse where, again, nothing happens and they continue to live their lives or they just sign with another team and it gets nothing comes of it. Spence, uh, let's move over here. And um, I, I thought I had it uh, shared here with this. Um, I, I had I thought I had the Denver Broncos schedule pulled up, but apparently it's not being pulled up here. On I'll my screen, but uh, I wanted to get into uh, the Denver Broncos and the AFC West talking about their games against the spread. Of course, the Westgate pulled some of their pulled all of the game line, put all of the week one lines out for the 2021 season. Of course, those lines are subject to change, but they're just, uh, you know, having them out here quickly at the beginning of the season. And the Denver Broncos, of course, in the AFC West, tough schedule uh, or tough division with the Raiders, with the Kansas City Chiefs, with the Chargers, of course, being better in that division in a conference that is going to be tough. It's going to be a challenge for the Denver Broncos and Vic Vangio with whether it's going to be Teddy Bridgewater or Drew Locke under center for the Denver Broncos to compete in this division. But let's start off week one, Spence. They're going to go on the road to New York to take on the Giants. It looks like they'll be a road small favorite, one-point favorite. I, I like the Giants in week one at home. I, I think it's going to be tough uh, for Denver. They, they're going to have a lot of talent this year. I think they're going to win some games that they shouldn't, but I don't know if they go on the road to the East Coast week one and beat the Giants. What are your thoughts? Broncos, Giants in New York week one, Denver a one-point favorite. Yeah, I, I'm honestly not going to expect the best out of the Broncos in the beginning of the season because of how – 
it's part of it's not their fault, but how disgruntled like their situation is at the quarterback where Drew Locke looks like he's barely going to squeak out the starting role where Teddy Bridgewater was like an actual starter last year. And I just feel like there's going to be too much pressure on, on Locke. And I don't think he's going to be able to live up to those expectations. And I could easily see some early season meltdowns when, you know, they'll probably expect him to win games like against the Giants who are greatly improved, but certainly no one's expecting them to win the Super Bowl. So those are like those middle of the road kind of games where it can go either way. So I'm not betting on them, actually. I don't I think they're going to lose week one. I agree with you. Spence, I'm going to go out on a limb and and say they're going to start off the season 0-2. And and they've got to go back east two weeks in a row. We're talking Denver to New York, possibly back home to Denver, and then out to Jacksonville and a Jaguars team that's going to be much improved because of Trevor Lawrence as their starting quarterback. They're, again, going to be a road favorite of one and a half. I'm going to take Jacksonville in the upset. I'm going to say Denver starts off the season at a rough 0-2. I'll disagree with you. I mean, the Jaguars, uh, you know, have a lot of hype around them, but a rookie head coach who I'm not sure is going to be able to make that transition, especially when you bring guys like Tim Tebow around. Like, that just shows – that you're not taking a lot of responsibility and you're just bringing a lot of distractions. Look, the, the Jaguars are documented as one of the least interesting teams in football and they have the smallest fan base probably in the entire NFL. So you could say that move was kind of there. But when I heard his interview, like when during the height of the situation, when everybody cared about it, he was very hands-off about it, where it's like, oh, I don't know, man. The coaches, I haven't even seen the guy. Where it's like, okay, but it was your idea to bring him on. So clearly you have a vested interest. Uh, so I think the Broncos will be able to bounce back. I don't think they're going to start their season off. I think there's going to be, you know, a lot of conversation where, oh, look, like Drew Locke lost a disappointing week one, but he bounced back in a, you know, an easy win game the next week. So I, it's more of me not believing in the Jaguars than it is me, uh, you know, going on the Broncos hype train. I, I personally don't think Drew Locke is in the discussion, Spence. I think it's going to be Teddy Bridgewater's job. I, I'd be surprised if – if Drew, well, given the quarterback situation, at one point I thought Drew Locke would never start another game for the Broncos. That doesn't seem as much of a lock as it did before, no pun intended. Week three, Spence, the Denver Broncos will be at home taking on the New York Jets, five-and-a-half-point home favorite. I think Denver gets the win and takes care of the Jets. Yeah, again, this is another team. The Broncos have a very favorable schedule early in their season where they could technically start you know, 3-0. and I'm going to say they start 2-1. and I think the Jets are going to be a colossal failure this year. Uh, I don't like the direction that their team's going in personally. Uh, I don't think it's going to be very uh, good for them. And it's been a lot of hype for them. But they still have no weapons, right, for uh, their new quarterback, which was the main problem. Uh, we'll see if Sam Darnold truly was the issue or if he was you know, part of the issue. A lot of that will be revealed early in the season. But regardless, whether or not you know their new QB, Zach Wilson, is the answer, no quarterback can get it done without anybody around him. So I say the Broncos start 2-1. and one. Spence week four, they're still at home against the Baltimore Ravens. They'll be an underdog in this matchup. The Ravens, three-and-a-half-point favorites. I think Baltimore takes care of Denver. Even though it's not easy to win a mile high, I think Baltimore will get the win against Denver. Yeah, it's certainly not. But th- these are the kinds of games that are going to raise serious questions within the team. And if it is Teddy Bridgewater and they lose the game really badly, then it'll go the other way. And Drew Locke, if Drew Locke starts and they get blown out, then it'll be like, all right, we got to start Teddy Bridgewater. Personally, I think this is where they start two and two in the season. 
I don't think they go to the next QB right after, but I think, you know, the Broncos are put on watch. I don't know who they start the week after, but two for two for me for the Broncos. They lose a really bad one against uh, Baltimore. Week five at Pittsburgh, Heinz Field, not an easy place to go and win. I think Pittsburgh gets the win against Denver here. Yeah, one half my favorite uh, will be Pittsburgh at home. Yeah, Pittsburgh could be so bad this season. It feels like they're teetering on the edge of being absolutely atrocious. Uh, But these are, again, those are the kinds of games I think the Broncos have not shown up in the past. And certainly I'll say, okay, they've lost really bad to Baltimore. I think they lose a fairly close game to the Steelers here. And then if they lose the next week, that's when Drew Locke loses his starting job again, keeping my prediction going here. But I'll say two and three for the Broncos. They lose again in a very tight game. So what would you say the spread was? Four and a half Pittsburgh at home favorite. Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll take the Broncos actually in the game, like not to win it, but I'll take the spread. I think that's a little too big. Week six in Denver, the Las Vegas Raiders will come to town and Denver will be a three and a half point home favorite. I think Denver takes care of home field and they beat the Raiders in mile high. I think this is the height of the drama at the QB position. So I say they lose this game, although I don't think they sweep the Raiders at all because it just doesn't seem to be the case in any year. And I certainly don't think the Raiders will sweep anybody in the division anytime soon. So I say two and four. Drew Locke loses his starting job at this point. Teddy Bridgewater starts the next. Teddy Bridgewater will start the week, whoever they play next. You know, this will be the debut of Teddy Bridgewater for the Broncos. Week seven at Cleveland. Cleveland will be a seven-point favorite, I think, in surprising fashion. Denver gets their first road win of the year and upset the Cleveland Browns outright, and they get the win. Yeah, the Teddy Bridgewater uh, debut uh, for Denver, I think, does go well. Uh, I agree with you there. I think that they take a win. And uh, I'm not sure of how much of a believer I am in the Browns just quite yet. We'll see. So as of right now, this could this opinion could change really easily for me to see maybe if they could just continue Cleveland to roll through and be really impressive. But if uh, you know the drama persists there and it's a little bit of questions, I'll say Teddy Bridgewater gets his first win in a Broncos uniform. Denver will be back at home uh, the following week against the Washington football team. They'll be a field goal favorite. I think Denver gets a three-game winning streak and they take care – of the football team and they cover the three points. I actually kind of like Washington in this spot. If, again, it feels like a spot where the Denver has the opportunity to win. And I'm agreeing with you there on the win streak that they have so far with two, but I think it ends here. I don't think they go any further than that. I think Washington's defense is good enough to cause some turnovers to win them that football game. Denver travels to Dallas to take on the Cowboys in week nine They will be a a four-and-a-half-point underdog. I think Dallas gets the win and snaps his three-game win streak, takes care of home field against Denver. Yeah, I don't think uh, they will be able to keep up scoring-wise. If Dak Prescott's healthy at this point in the season, which you know clearly that's kind of all the indications that he's going to be ready to go this season, uh, I don't think Denver will necessarily have a hard time scoring because of how bad – uh, you know, uh, the Cowboys defenses, but they'll be able to get it going and they'll ha- they have so many weapons and I think Dak will be so effective. So again, I think it'll be probably like a 36 to 24 game. That's my prediction early. I, I think Denver can stay within this number. I think Dallas sometimes struggles at home and especially against an AFC opponent could be a little bit of a closer game than anticipated week 10 back at home, Denver against the Philadelphia Eagles, who I expect to be, little down this year. Denver sits as a five and a half point favorite at home. I think they win, but 
I'll go with Philadelphia against the spread plus the five and a half. I think Philadelphia is uh, going to be the worst team in the NFL. That's my prediction. They're, they could probably win one or two games. I say Denver wins this game handily. I actually like it the opposite side. So I think Denver could cover easily the minus five and a half. Late bye week for Denver, week 11, they'll have a bye, and then they'll come off the bye at home in a divisional matchup against the Los Angeles Chargers. They'll be The Denver Broncos will be a two-and-a-half-point home favorite. This is a tough one to handicap coming off of a bye. I'm going to say the Chargers go on the road and get, they get the win in division. Yeah, I'm pretty impressed with the Chargers. I like the team that they have right now, and this feels like the part of the season where it just doesn't work for the Denver Broncos. Uh, there's going to be – Way too many questions, not enough answers. I'll take the Chargers here. And then, of course, the week after that, they've got to travel to Kansas City to take on the Chiefs. That's not uh, an easy spot if you're looking ahead just a little bit. So I think the losing streak goes to two in a row as they travel to Arrowhead. I think the Chiefs win, and they win impressively at home in week 12 against Denver in Kansas City. Nine and a half to spread. I think Kansas City wins and covers. Yeah, a pretty cushioned start for the Broncos at the very beginning of their season, and it's going to come crumbling down upon them, I think, at the end. The Chiefs will certainly dominate, who will be uh, maybe undefeated this season. That would be a pretty interesting bet, but they'll be looking for revenge, and they're not going to lose to the Denver Broncos late in the season. Uh, Week 13, Denver, they'll have a home game against the Detroit Lions, a touchdown and a half favorite. I think Denver wins the game, but I think Detroit will cover the seven and a half. I don't know. I think Philly and De- and uh, Detroit will be fighting each other for the bottom of the division, which certainly favors Denver a lot in this game because if Detroit does start the season as bad as many predict, they'll have more incentive to lose later in the season. And for a new head coach, they'll want a new quarterback. So they'll be really incentivized to lose. So I'll take Broncos and the points here, minus seven and a half. All right, Denver will have back-to-back home games the following week against uh, Cincinnati. I think they extend the win streak to two in a row. It's five-and-a-half point home favorite for Denver. I think they win, and I think they cover this one against the Bengals. Yeah, I don't I don't know why, but something about this game tells me that Cincinnati will be playing some pretty decent football at the end of the season where they're not really interested in tanking for picks at this point. They want to start building a winning culture, and the Broncos – you know, really on the outside looking in for the playoff picture. I don't think Cincinnati will be anywhere close at this point. I'm going to say this is a disappointing loss and a good win for the Cincinnati Bengals. All right. Uh, That's a win for Cincinnati in mile high against Denver. The following week, the Broncos will have to travel here to Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas to take on the Las Vegas Raiders. Vegas will be a two and a half point home favorite if that number sticks to what it is now at the Westgate. I think Vegas holds home field and they get the win against Denver. Who knows where the Raiders will be at this point? (laughs) In my prediction, not very good. I like their under seven and a half. Uh, This is a toss-up. Then when they play each other late in the game, my gut feeling tells me the Raiders, but it would not uh, surprise me at all if Denver's able to take it. My official statement, though, the Raiders win in cover. Week 16, Spence Denver travels to L.A. to take on the Chargers. The Chargers, who I predicted to win one in Denver, I think the Chargers are much improved this year, and I think they get the sweep of Denver this year. Plus three will be the line. The Broncos will be a three-point underdog. I think the Chargers win, and they cover that number. Yeah, uh, this will be an interesting one because at this point, they'll be, uh, you know, the Broncos will try to to ruin playoff hopes, especially for division rivals. Yeah, the Chargers, I would say, I'm pretty confident they have the ability to sweep. I really do think they're going to turn a new leaf with the new head coach. All right, so going into week 17, I have Denver sitting at seven wins. 
Uh, they will be at home against Kansas City in the season finale. We'll see what happens here if Kansas City is at a point to sit all their players. Since it's going to be in Denver, I'm going to go ahead and give the nod to Denver, thinking Kansas City may sit their starters and will push them to eight wins on the year. Denver wins and covers uh, as an underdog of three points. Yeah, so, wow, really? That's so short. I actually like Kansas City a lot in this matchup because if they are fighting for the first overall seed, which is certainly possible, they will, like, they won't even be a game. So I'll take the Chiefs here early on. It's a risk, but it's a gamble I think I'm willing to take, honestly. And would you say a seven win season is disappointing for the Broncos considering, you know, their team situation or uh, another just kind of fall flat on the face where they haven't been able to recover from their Super Bowl win? Well, so, yeah, that's that's a good question, Spence. What do you have Denver sitting at here? I mean, I think you had quite a few wins in there where I had losses. You've got them beating Jacksonville and the Jets for two wins. Spence, correct me if I'm wrong here. You have them. Uh, did you have them beating Pittsburgh or no? I had Pittsburgh winning in a close game. So I think I had them at eight. I think I had one more win than you. Eight wins, uh, well, I guess in a, a more extended schedule. I think that's about where you expect them to be. That's improved from last year. And it does feel like they're a quarterback away from actually, you know, becoming a legit playoff team. I feel like they have sure. a lot of great pieces on offense. So uh, this this season will be more of a uh, indicative of how bad their quarterback situation is than everything else. They're going to have to figure it out soon before guys start leaving and get really annoyed. So I do think their window's still open, though. I don't think they're out of it, the question quite yet. For, well, they'll, they'll maybe have Von Miller back this year. They'll have Von Miller back on defense, Bradley Chubb. Uh, so, look, we have them sitting right around eight. We know how the NFL is, Spence. One injury, one possession away. That can be a 10-win team talking about that extra wildcard berth in the AFC. So we certainly have an NFL landscape that's more competitive than it's ever been, and Denver certainly has talent. Uh, not what they would like from the quarterback position per se as, as far as winning a title right now, but certainly an opportunity to find a way into the playoffs if a couple breaks go their way. So uh, – at some point here in the near future, Spence, as we're getting closer to training camps here in the next couple months, uh, we'll finish up some more divisions. Uh, we have yet to hit the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC West, so we'll talk about them in the upcoming weeks. But aside from that, we will be back on Thursday talking more NBA playoffs, possibly some NFL and some more breaking news in sports and pop culture. For Spencer Ostrowski, I'm Brad Restituto. Have a great night. We'll see you back on Thursday.